You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. First Corinthians 15, but we're going to look this morning at verses 20 through 28. So First Corinthians chapter 20. Chapter 15, verses 20 through 28. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. So happy Resurrection Sunday again to you. This one, I think, I hope will go down as one of the weirdest Easter services or Easter church Sundays that we have. Uh, hopefully this is not a repeat uh, event that we have to go through this awkwardness of not being able to gather and celebrate together um, the glorious reality of, of um, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, that hopefully this isn't what we have to do. But here we are. Uh, we're doing something different. So what should we do? This is a unique Easter. What should, what should we do? We have this weird, random uh, opportunity to, to do something different on Easter Sunday. What should we do? Well, the point of the church calendar is not that we would do anything new but that we would regularly remember the same truths because it is the truth that really matters. Not only on Easter Sunday, does this roll around once a year that we remember the resurrection of Jesus, but actually every week, the reason why we gather on Sundays is because it is the Lord's day. It is the day that Christ resurrected from the grave. And so every week we have this regular reminder of the first day of the week our Savior rose from the grave. He is resurrected. He is living. So every week we had this repetition. We, we remember the broken body, the shed blood of our Savior. We hear the gospel every week. And so we our goal is not to just do something new. Now, undoubtedly, this is new. This is the first time I've ever sent out to people to encourage them to gather at home around computers for an Easter uh, remembrance, an Easter celebration. 
So I guess in that sense, this is new, but I have no desire for the content of what we focus on to be new. That is not our desire at all. Our hope, and this is because our hope is not in something what is novel or new, but that our hope is what is is on what is solid and true. Our hope is not in what is novel or new. And yes, that's a little bit of a pun intended there. Uh, not Obviously not in a novel coronavirus, but our hope is not in what is novel or new, just meaning new. But our hope is on what is solid and true. What is real? That's where we want to focus our hope, not trying to figure out something new for this new event or for this new medium, for this new way of communicating, for this new time in our lives. We're not trying to find something new to answer that. But as all the new things roll on and on in this life, our hope is not in finding something new or creating a new event or doing something novel or different. Our hope is in remaining steadfast, planted on what is solid and true and timeless, what the church has been celebrating for thousands of years now. That's where we want to ground ourselves. It's like the comfort of of a home that you've lived in for years. When life has gone haywire, when when things are kind of upset in an uproar, you don't come home and start trying to figure out how to change everything in your house. You just want to come home to the comforts that you know. That, that are just that are there that you've lived with these these truths that are there you're simply glad to get back to the home that you know when at various times that I've spent in in hospitals and gone for you know weeks at times living sleeping on the, those incredibly uncomfortable cots that are always right underneath the air conditioning so they're freezing cold you know you're just you're just glad even if you're going home with a weird diagnosis or lots of hard things to take care of, there's a sense in which you're just glad to get back to your own comfort, your own solid foundation. I want to get back to my drip coffee maker. I want to get back to just my own couch. I want to get back to these comfortable truths that surround me. I don't want anything new at that moment. I don't want a new, a new menu. I want the same old meatloaf, right? I mean, I'm not going to mention a basketball analogy, but I'll mention meatloaf. I want this. I want what I know. I want what is true, what is comfortable when life goes upside down. It's the comfort of coming from this. It's the comfort coming from this sense of a welcomed familiarity. I don't want what don't want what's novel and new. I want what is solid, what is true. So it's, it's, that's, this this truth, it's mine. It's this confession of someone when they say that they 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 love you, someone's love for you. After years of hearing it, you know, you can kind of get, yeah, okay, I know it, I know it, I know it. But when when life, when really hard things happen, sometimes there is there is nothing more moving or comforting than just to hear again the reality of, of your loved one saying, I love you. You ever notice that? I mean, it's like you go through an event with your family and you you all know you you love each other, but you might go, I mean, months, I mean, some families without ever just actually saying, I love you. And then some, some thing goes on in your life and this truth that you know all of a sudden becomes this emotional reality as you find brothers and brothers-in-laws and sisters-in-law and mothers-in-law and all these 
all these relationships saying, I, I love you. And there's, it's not a new revelation that they're sharing with you. It's just the, the same truth and grounding yourself there. So when we gather for Easter Sunday, my hope is not to bring up something novel and new. It is to remember the truths of the gospel and of the resurrection of Christ. It's a familiar reality. It's warm sunshine on a windy spring day when the sun comes through the clouds and you get out of the breeze and you feel that warmth. That's the truths we want to, to focus on. The resurrection hope that is found in Christ's resurrection should be especially poignant on an Easter like this because we're all huddled up at, in our homes or wherever we are. We're all socially distant. I know some are not at home right now, but still together, but, but apart. We're all in this social distancing uh, reality to, to minimize death, to minimize tragedy. And this is a good thing. But the reality is we cannot hold death off forever. We cannot hold death off forever. Psalm 90 verse 2 tells us is this, is this writing from the psalm writer, is this, that's this request of God to teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. There's this request that God would teach us to number our days, to live with the reality that um, there is this, this ending point. We, we, our days are numbered and we don't want to live as those who have, you know, given a living a lie as though our days aren't numbered. They are. And so we have this weird Easter Sunday where it is like uh, front and center and all of our news feeds that, that life is serious, that death is real, that death is coming for each one of us. And so I think that it's clear, even with, um, even with my limited understanding uh, of how this all works, but this quarantine mandate does have a timeline, right? This, this will end. We will come out of this. And even the experts on coronavirus are saying that the major, large percentage of us are going to be, come through this just fine that there there is going to there is an end to this this is not an indefinite an eternal period of now the new normal is social quarantine no that's not that's not what's happening this is a brief period of time and most will say that we'll come through this just fine but you know i hesitate to just give sweeping assurances that this is going to be fine this is going to be you're going to make it because none of us really knows if we make it through this day. I, I pray with um, a few guys on Saturday mornings and one of them, I won't embarrass him by calling him out. But every time we pray almost, he prays for his unsaved loved ones and he thanks God for this day because it's the only day we have. And I, it's, it's such a simple prayer, but there's so much packed into it. This reality of I'm thankful for this day because it's the only day that really I have any guarantee that I will see. And so there is this sobriety that comes with this living, numbering our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. But then does that mean that the Christian who stares boldly in the face of that reality, that our days are numbered, that death comes for us all, does that mean that we live with this as a fainting or worried Christian? By no means. That is not what this means because we serve a living God and we have been rescued by a resurrected Savior. 
Our text this morning is in this right from this middle of this famous passage regarding the resurrection of Christ and of all of those who are truly his. It's an incredible chapter. I just commend it to you to take time this afternoon, read the 15th chapter of, of 1 Corinthians. Paul begins by stressing the startling consequence of a Christianity with no resurrection. In verse 19, he says that uh, if, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are of all people most to be pitied. If, if Christianity only serves to make life better today, then, then we are to be most of all pitied. His point is that as suffering comes to the Christian, if, if Christ is only beneficial for this life, then Christianity is pointless because Christians suffer as all the rest do, suffer from illnesses, suffer from poverty, suffer from, suffer from struggle suffer from the loss of loved ones at a time that's earlier than we would like to see them go. We all suffer. It, the, it is, it is a, a universal human reality of the sufferings of this life. And so if Christianity is only for this life, well, then Christians are to be most pitied of all because, because believing in Christ not only doesn't rescue you from the standard struggles of this life, they can actually increase your persecutions. It can actually increase your sufferings. And so Paul's point is, why am I suffering for Christ by being imprisoned and persecuted and stoned and, and all of these things that are going on in Paul's life if Christianity is only for this life? That's, and so he brings up that if that were the truth of the Christian gospel is just about getting your best life now, then, then, Christian, then Christians are to be the most pitied because the Christian gospel is about a future hope. We have a savior who has gone into death and has come out the other side and lives forever. His point is that Christians do not have their hope placed in this life only. There is a life yet to come. And this is what's mentioned in what we read. Christ has been raised from the dead, a first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or died. It's a euphemism for die. They've fallen asleep. I was reading a book uh, this week. I'd bought up at conference, had it stuck on a shelf and just happened to look over and it was on resurrection and soteriology and, and Paul's, which is just his view of salvation and how, how resurrection life is so tied into Paul's view of, of salvation. And this writer brought up this verse. He spoke about the meaning of the first fruits and the way he emphasized um, his thoughts on Christ's resurrection. I, I never really thought of it this way before, but he had two thoughts. I mean, first fruits obviously means that it is the first. There's, there's two thoughts regarding Christ's resurrection as being the first fruits. The first obvious meaning is that Christ's resurrection was first in order, right? He is the first fruits. He is the first one to come out from death on the other side and to live forever. He is the first fruits. Now there were there had been in history and in Jesus' own ministry resuscitations of life. Those who had died and Prophet Elijah raises them up, or Jesus in his ministry had had people that had died and, and they had brought back to life. Paul himself, with a boy falls out of the window, um, Eustica or Eutychus or whatever, he falls out and dies and, and res resurrect res uh, resuscitated is brought back to life, but those people all went on to die again. 
Christ is unique in that he is the first fruit of those who have come through death out on the other side, never to die again. So he is the first fruits in that, yes, he is the first in order. But there's this other reality of Christ as the first fruit. Christ's resurrection is, is the first fruit in being first in order. But the second point this writer made was that is that there's this organic connection between the first fruits of the harvest and the harvest itself. They are not two different harvests. They are the one in the same harvest. Just because Christ's resurrection is the first fruits doesn't mean there's like this, you know, Jesus' resurrection is of one class and then ours, the resurrection of those who are his is some other harvest. They are the same harvest. When the first fruits offering was given in the in the Old Testament feast days, they'd have the, the first fruits that were brought and given to God. It was it was a symbolization of symbolizing of this this harvest that was coming in. It was the first crop, but it was the first crop of the same harvest. There was this organic, intimate connection between the first fruits and the rest of the harvest. Christ's resurrection was the first fruits it's the sign of the coming just as real resurrection of the rest and so there's this intimate connection i mean this is what you struggle to always try to express on easter christ's resurrection the reason why we rejoice in it so much is because in a very real way his resurrection is our resurrection it's the first fruits but they are the same resurrection Christ's resurrection is our resurrection. His resurrection is organically and truly tied to the resurrection of all of God's people. We rejoice that Christ has risen because he is the first fruits of the harvest that will include the resurrection of all those who are in Christ. And that's what the text then goes on to say. There's just this plain declaration in verse 22 of the passage says that in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Gospel declaration. Here's the bad news. In Adam, all die. We could go and back into jump back into our Romans chapter five, chapter six, talk about this reality, chapter four, this reality of the first Adam and the second Adam. But in Adam, as our federal head, we have all been plunged into judgment. We are not born these innocent little and, and that, that become sinners. We are born dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2, Psalm 51. In sin did my mother conceive me. This reality that we are born dead in sins. We, as in Adam, if you are a child of Adam, and every one of you are, then you are born dead in sins. In Adam, all die. And because of that, death is coming for us all. Now, maybe not today, and maybe not from coronavirus, but it is coming. You are better off to face that and think about it while you still can. You're better off. This is a, a, a tragic, hard moment, but a grace for, for every one of us to be faced with this reality that we would take time to think about it. But it isn't the most serious issue facing us. Your physical death is not the most serious issue facing any one of us. 
of far greater concern is the spiritual death that we are all born into in our natural state. We are born at war with God. We are born not loving him, but hating him, loving ourselves, bent in upon ourselves and loving our idols. We want comfort of this life, not the Christ who made this life. We want safety in the world, not the savior of the world. We want God to work for happiness on our terms, not the happiness that is God himself. And because of this, Colossians chapter three, verse six says, the wrath of God is coming. All in Adam, all die. There will be judgment and justice for God haters. And it is, I have to be biblical at this point. It is an eternity in hell. It is under the wrath of God. And it is serious. It's more serious than any death that you will face, as tragic and hard as that may be. This is something far more serious. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. In Adam, all die. If you're in Adam, you're born in trouble. The verse goes on. This is why this is a gospel passage. In Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. In Christ there is redemption. He lives the life of one that one who truly loves God should live. Jesus lives it. He, the command to love God, to love neighbor, Jesus fulfills perfectly. The, he earns perfect righteousness, deserves whole fellowship with the Father, but instead he takes judgment upon himself. He suffers in the place of sinners as their substitute on the cross. What Good Friday has been all about. Christ takes their sin upon them himself, of his, the sin of his people upon himself. Why? So that all who are in him, by faith in his work, turning from their sin and rebellion, would live, really and truly live, fully alive in this life, safe and secure in the joy of their master, and truly live forever with him in heaven, and when he returns, reigning with him on a new heavens and a new earth. You may survive coronavirus. Statistics, statistics, statistics seem to say that many of us will but none of us will survive forever. None of us, that is, we will not survive forever on our own. In Adam, all die. But we have gathered around our devices today because this is Resurrection Sunday, where we don't forget that all those who are in Christ will be made alive. That us, as in Adam, all die, in Christ shall all be made alive. Is this where your hope is this Sunday? Not that, well, I'm relatively young and statistics say that uh, pretty much I have a, might have a hard time. Might even be, I have no symptoms. I mean, I might be, just, I just go through this just fine. So my hope is that I'm probably going to make it through coronavirus. I hope that isn't your hope today. Because if it isn't this, it's the next thing. Who knows how many of us are catching all kinds of things as this life and as time goes on. Don't hope in surviving the latest wave of a virus. Don't let your hope, don't let that be your hope. Don't hope in surviving the latest wave of a virus. Don't hope 
in surviving whatever economic turmoil is headed our way. You know, maybe I think my job is secure. Or I've got some savings or I've got to, you know, I'm resourceful. Don't hope in surviving whatever economic turmoil is coming. Don't hope in the things of this life. Enjoy the good things of this life for what they are. Fading flowers that at moments shine through with the beauty of God's own glory. Enjoy them, but they're still fading flowers. Hope in what truly lasts. Resurrection life. The resurrection harvest that Jesus is the first fruits of. Just as surely as he was raised. The tomb is empty today. They did not find a body. Christ was resurrected. There is no shrine to where Jesus is buried because he is not there anymore. He rose from the grave. And just as surely as he was raised, so too will all who are his join him in that great and final day. Church, rejoice. Rejoice. Jesus is alive. Amen. And so whatever comes our way, we have this as a bedrock truth to lay our heads upon at night. No matter what hospital run comes in the future, no matter what phone call comes your way in the coming weeks, days, months, who knows what, no matter what tragedy lies on your horizon, lay your head upon this truth. In Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Jesus is alive. And all who are in him will truly live with him forever. That is something to hope in and to ground ourselves upon this day and every day until that great and final day. Rejoice, church. Jesus is alive. Mm -hmm. Whatever comes our way, if you are his, there is nothing that can tear you from his grasp. No matter what darkness may grab a hold of you, it cannot tear you from the grasp of his own hands. Let's place our hope appropriately in what is solid and true in a savior who has beat death for us. Let's pray. God, fill our hearts with the joy of a savior who lives, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I confess Adam as my federal head, I, I was plunged into sin, but Father, I plunged myself there and, and deserve to sit under your wrath. But I have a Savior. I have a Savior who came to seek and to save the lost, who took my sin upon himself on the cross, who rescued me through his own purchase who conquered death so that by faith in him, I can live today with hope and joy and peace because though in Adam I die, with Christ I too am made alive. Help us, God, this day and every day coming on into eternity to live in Christ in the joy that is found in him. God, Help us to magnify you, to glorify you, to enjoy you, to rest in you above all else. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.